You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. We're so excited because we figured that all of us have families, and whether you've got a great family or your family's a medium great family or maybe a lesser than medium great family, God actually has a plan to restore and to make your family amazing. And we want to be a church that equips you and and blesses you and gets you ready for the holidays because the holidays are coming up. Next week or two weeks from now is Thanksgiving, and I'm so excited to eat like a year's worth of carbs in one day. I've been like ready to storm up for winter, you know, for our rough San Diego winters that we get, like it's a thing. And um, it's actually Kenny's favorite holiday, which is not a surprise from the man who can eat 6,000 calories and has the metabolism of a 10-year-old boy. (laughs) Of course it's his favorite holiday. And I wanted to take a two-second plug real quick, too, that we've got our Emerge Turkey Bowl. Listen, whether you're going to join a team and play and get sweaty and get bruised up and, you know, do manly things, it's such a fun event to have all the family come out. Kenny and I come out every year. We pop in. We don't play. I don't want Kenny to get sweaty and dirty. But um, we come and we cheer people on. And I get to, like, live my old, like, you know, middle school dreams. And I, like, have my ASB sign. And I'm like, go, fight, win. You know, come on, Central. I'm ready. I'm cheering you all on. So make sure you guys get there because we have so many fun things coming up. And the holidays can be super exciting. But on the other hand, the hustle and the bustle and all the things can actually bring a lot of stress for people. Um, A few years ago, there was actually a study from a university medical group that they polled all the people online or wherever it was, and they polled them and said, how much would you consider yourself stressed during the holidays? 62% of people consider themselves very stressed. During the holidays, when it's supposed to be a time of joy and excitement, these people are very stressed. And they've actually gone so far to now call it festive stress. First of all, listen, there are a few things that are festive. Christmas trees, sequins, such carbonated beverages like champagne. Those things are festive. Stress is literally not festive. Stress is not welcome at any of my holiday parties. That is not an accessory that you you can bring. It is true. But sadly, but sadly, so many people, that really is the reality. And they've got the stress of, you know, maybe young couples in here. And you're like, oh, my gosh, whose family are we going to spend Christmas with? And are we going to go to my parents or your parents? And all these things that they're considering. And then presents and budgets and trying to figure stuff out. It can be really overwhelming for people as well. Not even just the financial practical things, but there's actually dynamics that people are, like, so anxious about. Because what can happen is you spend a whole year having drama in your life, frustrations, disappointments, hardships that don't get dealt with. And then at Christmas time and the holidays, it's like a magnifying glass to all the things that you haven't dealt with. And so, of course, 62% of people are stressed. They haven't dealt with their life. But I'm going to equip you tonight and share some things so that none of you in here would consider yourself festively stressed. (sighs) Amen. Amen. Um, The reason why I'm, like, so excited and so passionate to talk about this subject is because I actually was a person from a very, very young age that I despised the holidays. And, okay, I'm already crying. Here I am. And um, I despised the holidays. And... I would just kind of grin and bear it. 
and I'd make it through. And I remember at a young age decorating Christmas tree by myself because my mom was diagnosed with bipolar schizophrenia. And a lot of times it would leave her really hyper for days where she wouldn't sleep and then she would sleep for days. And so I remember being a little girl and every year, October through December, like clockwork, every year, my entire childhood, the stress of the holiday would physically change a chemical in her brain and she would have these episodes to where she would actually be taken from our home and locked up in a mental institution. And so for me, the reason I didn't like the fall through basically January is because it was every year, every single year, I knew what the holidays brought for our family. And it wasn't just the fear and the stress of her leaving. And, and, you know, yes, I was the sad cliche of a single mom who we were poor. We grew up in government housing. And every year my little name was on the giving tree at school and I'd get really weird presents from people I didn't know. I remember getting like, listen, like a custom tie-dye Tweety Bird shirt, okay? I was in fifth grade. I was like, no, no, I am way too cool for this. And like weird Barbies with their arms off. And okay, listen, listen, if we're gonna be people that give to giving trees, let's give people the best. Let's give them the best. And not the leftovers, not the leftovers. That is my plug. But listen, okay, here's the deal. Yes, I was absolutely grateful. Are you kidding me? I was absolutely grateful to wear that weird tidy by, you know, Tweety Bird shirt. I was, I was happily wearing it because it was a present that I got. Yes, I played with those Barbies with their heads falling off and the generic, it wasn't even a real generic bar, it was like a generic Barbie. But I loved it because it was something that I got. But for me, where the stress and the fear came around was just the fact that I didn't have a healthy, functioning dynamic in my home at the time. This is the thing. The Bible says that the enemy comes to steal, ki- steal, kill, and destroy. He would love nothing more than to pervert, to bring disappointment, to bring fear, to bring anxiety around the family unit, specifically a parent and a child family relationship. Why? Because the enemy knows that if he can rob us and leave us disappointed and heartbroken on how we see a parent, then we would struggle the rest of our lives at seeing God as our heavenly father. That if he could steal that from us, make us have this filter over our life, then we would struggle limping along to understand that God is a good father and wants to give you your dream house. God's a good father and wants to give you a baby. God's a good father and wants to give you these things. And you have people that are so afraid of God because they think God's all judging and this almighty, yes, he's those things, but he is also Father God. The Bible says in chapter, and don't worry, I'm gonna introduce my title. Oh, good job. I want it to be a secret. <sighs> Even though I posted it on Instagram already. Um, we're going to turn to 1 John. <laughs> we're going to turn to 1 John 4, I believe it's 18 through 19. Yes. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. What that is saying is that perfect love, which is Jesus, because that's the only perfect love that there is, he's the one that drives out all fear. And when it goes on to say, the one who fears is not made perfect in love, what the Bible is showing us there is that if there's an area of your heart or of your life where there is fear and anxiety around it, then that's a good indicator that we actually haven't allowed the Holy Spirit, the perfect love of Jesus, to perfect that area of our life. 
God wants a connection with us. We were designed to be connected. Did you know when a mom has a baby, if you take the baby out and put the baby on the mom's chest and you leave the baby there, they've actually done studies that if, even if you don't touch the baby, you just leave it there and you're like, okay, it'll eventually make its way down to nurse at the mother. Why? Because we are biologically programmed for connection. God created us and wired us, and science is catching up and realizing that, wow, that's very interesting. How could we just appear, uh, you know, a big poof in the sky, but also be wired for connection? Well, you can't. It's because you were designed. Hello. Hello. You're welcome. There is a study done at Princeton University. By the way, I did a bunch of studying during this message, so get ready for all of the facts. As well as the Bible. Get ready. It's going to get good. But there was a study from Princeton University, not just Google or Wikipedia, actual PrincetonUniversity.com. They, I don't know how I got there. I was Googling, and then boom, there I was. And they did a study of 14,000 U.S. children. 40% were lacking what psychologists called a secure attachment. That without a strong bond to their mothers or fathers, they were more likely to become aggressive, defiant, suffer depression, struggle with poverty. And the list was on and on. Like this is straight from their website. 60% of the children from that study who were considered to have secure attachments formed through simple actions as um, meeting physical, mental, and emotional needs were more likely to be resilient to poverty, stress, depression, and family instability just by having their basic needs met. Here's the thing is that when those secure attachments aren't formed correctly, or if they're completely missing and there's an absent father or mother, when the things are deformed and defective like that, what we can begin to take on is what the Holy Spirit showed me is called an orphan heart. The title of my message tonight is Overcoming an Orphan Heart. When something isn't orphaned, that that means that thing's been forsaken. Webster's Dictionary describes it like this. A verb, an action, to renounce or turn away from, to abandon, to desert, to leave without intending to return. This is a thing. The Bible is the real truth of God, and he has something to say about this subject. The Bible tells us that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for every person in this room. Lord Jesus, I pray that wherever they're at in their family dynamic, God, I pray that you've got greater things, that their best days truly are ahead for their families. And God, where they need full restoration, God, you bring it supernaturally that you would make a move of God happen in their families. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so if we're going to talk about this subject of orphanhood and forsakenness, all these things, it might be good to start off on how we were even created. So grab your Bibles. I hope you all have your Bibles. Thank you. And we're going to look in Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to kind of overcap it or overview it. But in Genesis chapter 1, that's the account of creation. So in Genesis chapter 1, it is God because he is He is time. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the middle. He has always been. So God is there doing his thing, being God, hovering over the waters, being almighty and powerful. And he decides it's a perfect time to start creating things. So he says, let there be light. 
boom, and there was light. God speaks and said, let there be space between the ocean and the land, and there was land, you know, there it is. He said, let there be vegetation, boom, there was vegetation. God would speak, and he just created with his words all these things. But when we go to chapter 2, verse 7, here it is. It actually shows us something different, that God had just taken a break from creating, and he decides to do something different. It says, then God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. God could have full well said, let there be bone, let there be flesh, let there be tissue, let there be hair, let there be eyes. He could have just spoken, and it would have happened. He just created the earth, the moon, the stars, y'all. But he actually had something else in mind. He wanted there to be a separation of value so that we would know that God got down into the ground close to us in our mess and created us. And as Pastor Jurgen always brilliantly preaches that, that picture says that when he breathed into the, like the nostrils, like you're pretty close to someone when you're breathing in their nose. Okay, I don't know if that's happened to you. I mean, when I had a baby, I was like, yes, Dallas. I'm like breathing in her face. But God got down and close because he wanted to place a high value on humanity. There is an epidemic outside of these four walls that will tell you, depending on how you were formed, how you were created, if you were planned, if you were not planned, if you were an accident, if you came through victimization, if you came through tragedy, that all of a sudden your life is dismissible. Y'all, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He would love to steal the value of life and say, no, this is, this is your worth. Because you weren't planned, this is who you are. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. you were born, before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as prophet to the nations. In another version of that scripture, it actually says, before I formed you in the womb, I chose you. Here's the thing. When an orphan is an orphan, and then they get picked, they're no longer an orphan, right? When there's an orphan and they get chosen, they're no longer an orphan. So this scripture is literally telling us, how dare we think that we could ever be orphaned or forsaken? Because guess what? Before we were even formed, we were chosen. God may not have picked how you got here and the vessels and the things that surrounded your formation, but you got here and God wanted you here and you have a value on your life because God chose you before you even knew he chose you. This is the thing. When a husband and wife get pregnant and have a baby, Colin Chittick, you just had a baby. When a husband and wife get pregnant, in the very first moment that you find out that there's a baby in there, you love that baby. You love that baby. You talk to that baby. You are so um, enwrapped and enthralled with that baby. And then nine months later, the baby comes out, and you're like, oh, my gosh, the baby loves me back. And eventually, the baby gets to say, I love you, too. But here's the cool thing that I love, that even when our daughter Dallas gets to say, Mommy, I love you, I always get to know, I love you, I loved you first. Because as a mom, I loved her before she even knew that I loved her. 
That is exactly what God is saying in that scripture. Three years ago, when I was pregnant with Dallas, you guys know my daughter, she's on my Instagram every day. I'm pretty proud of the thing that I created. There she is, boom. But um, three years ago, <laughs> I was very, very pregnant, okay? I was pregnant for, it felt like 80 years. She didn't want to come out and she took two weeks extra past her due date. I was like, girl, your rent is up, you got to go. I needed her out and in this world. But she took a long time. So when Kenny and I found out we were pregnant, we were so excited. We were pregnant. I was pregnant. It wasn't we. When Kenny and I found out that I <laughs> ladies, amen, amen. <laughs> when we found out I was pregnant, we were so excited. But here's the thing. We actually waited until I was four, four months along to go to the doctor. I, was, I don't recommend waiting that long to go to the doctor to find out that you're pregnant. But I waited and I was four months pregnant because I was like kind of nervous that if I went to the doctor, they would confirm that there was a baby in there. And then that said baby would then have to exit my body. And it was just a lot to take in. <laughs> so I felt like if I didn't go, then maybe they wouldn't tell me that that's gonna be a part of the situation. I don't know. <laughs> but we, we go in for the appointment. And it's so funny because the doctor was like, okay, like, are you guys ready to find out the sex of your baby? Because you're already halfway there. So here we are. So Kenny's like, no, you know what, doctor? I already know. It's a boy. <laughs> and the best part was, is the doctor is in the room and they're pointing to this little white blurb on a screen, and you're pretending as a parent to know what they're pointing at. They're like, oh yes, this, this, and that. You're like, ah, oh, yes, I concur, totally, totally. And in the meantime, you're like, is that the baby's head? Is that the baby's foot? What's happening? I don't know. So we go in there, and the doctor's like, well, no, you're not having a boy, you're having a girl. And we were so excited, and we left the place, and Kenny was still like, are you sure? I'm like, babe, I'm so far along. Like, there's no question about this. It, this is a 21st century. They knew. And as time went on, we just kept getting more and more excited. And, you know, finally, finally, when she came out, she, we looked at her and we're like, oh, my gosh. Like, how amazing is this that we get this little girl for the rest of our life? that we loved her so much before she even knew that we loved her. And now every day we look at her with her like blonde hair and her blue eyes. By the way, if you're new, my daughter is blonde hair and blue eyed. I know, <laughs> genetics are crazy. <laughs> hey, <laughs> especially when you're mixed. <laughs> the melting pot, all the brown people said amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, I'm just being silly, but I'm not. But anyways, but I get to look at my daughter every day, and I get to choose her for the rest of my life. Every day, I get to choose her. She will never be orphaned by mommy and daddy. <sighs> Let's see. Hang on a second here. Let me just see where I am. Thank you, thank you. Ah, yes, thank you. Amen. <laughs> I've got a lot of notes going on here, guys. There's lots to tell. Um, ah, yes, yes, yes. So depending on how you got here and how you were formed, and I wanted to speak to a couple people in the room, and I know that a lot of my story is to people who have had absent fathers or mothers, that you've, there's an absence, but there's also some people in here, I feel like the Holy Spirit was showing me that you might have both your parents physically here, but there's a part of you that has been a dream or something that's been maybe dismissed or 
left behind. So you feel like there's a part of you that might have been orphaned. There's a situation that makes you feel like there's an absence. But the Bible tells us in Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6, God is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. If you didn't know that when you come to Jesus, you just entered in a gigantic family. Pastor John said it, it's been said all this week that this is the family, this is the, like this is who we do life with. And you might have a great family, you might have a not so great family, but you get to be in a family. And when you give your life to Jesus, we're gonna be walking with you, we're gonna go along that journey with you, we're gonna be that family for you. And then in turn, you can go be that family for someone else. Everything that, God did was showing us that he chose us. When Jesus was up on the cross, he could have chosen to get down to call on his God like his father and say, yo, this situation, I'm not into it. I want out, cut it up, bye, see ya later. But he chose to stay. The Bible tells us that he says, no one takes my life, I freely give it. He was giving us, he was showing us an example that he's choosing us. There are so many beautiful scriptures, and I've got a few more I want to share because I really feel like God wants to nail this and send this home with people for their hearts to take this with you forever. In 1 Peter 2, 9, verse 10, it says, You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have God's mercy. Here's the thing. There was a time in my life from the very beginning that I remember feeling like I had no identity. I was born in Texas. I say y'all because if you're born in Texas, you say y'all forever. Even though I live in San Diego, I just can't let go of the y'all. It's just with me forever. So I was born in Texas to my mom and my dad. And one night, I was six years old, my mom comes in my room and she says, hey, wake up, wake up, but be really quiet. We're gonna sneak out of bed. You're not gonna take anything with you. And we're gonna go on a trip, but we're not taking daddy. And I was like, okay, this is weird. So we get on a plane, and we fly from Dallas to Seattle, and we get off the plane, and we go straight to the courthouse, and my mom changes her middle and last name and changed my middle and last name. And even though it had been a short six years of an identity, I remember in that moment feeling like, what is happening? Where's dad? What, who's my, what's my name? Like, what's going on? And I remember that shortly after that, we're trying to build our life. We're trying to figure things out. My mom had her, her parents up there, so I had grandparents up there. And I remember my mom would let me write letters to my dad, but we'd have to send them to Minnesota, and then they would send it to him, so he thought that we were in Minnesota, so he couldn't find us. Shortly after that, and these are like during the critical years of your life, like, I'm trying to figure out how to spell my name, people, <laughs> and what state I live in, and what's the weather like where I'm at, and I mean, I had no idea. And it was shortly after that, 
that I remember my mom having her very first episode. And an episode is what the psychologists call like a mental breakdown. And it was, my mom and I laugh about it now because she's healthy and doing well. But at the time, it was pretty traumatic. My mom had came to my school and she was wearing all purple. And she had a name tag and it said Mrs. Purple. And she had a cake and she came waltzing into my classroom and she was singing happy birthday. And it was nowhere near my birthday. And I remember the teachers taking me out of the class and walking me to the nurse's office. And I sat in that little office and I remember looking out the window. And then shortly after I'm looking out the window, I see them taking my mom and laying her on like a bed and they put these like leather straps over her. And these are like the things that became normal. This wasn't the first time, it was first of many. And like I said earlier, it was always around the same time, always around Thanksgiving and always around Christmas. Here's the thing, my mom absolutely loved me. She loved me, she loved me, she loved me. But sometimes orphanhood isn't like by choice. There's things that sometimes accidents happen. Maybe like I said before, there's maybe a divorce in the family and now you feel like you've been left behind because you had to choose a parent or choose a family or whatever it is. But this is the thing that I know. No matter the situation, no matter the depth of what it is, there's nothing God can't restore in your family. It might look different. In fact, it will look different. It's not always gonna be completely perfect in your mind like how you thought, but God will restore it, and your heart will be made whole. The thing about God is that he uses what the devil meant for evil and turns it into good. So one of the good things about my childhood is that when my mom would get locked up, I would bounce around to different houses. And one of those houses, those couples, where are they, Joe and Sandy? There you are. They happen to be in San Diego this weekend. Sorry. opened up their home and they would bring me in from a very young age and they would put me in their Christmas photos and send out Christmas cards and everyone's like who's that brown kid in your in your photo and um and they were able to teach me a lot of things they were able to teach me how to love my mom unconditionally and they always pointed me back to Jesus they taught me practical things like how to budget and not to wear my pajamas in public. <laughs> and that cleaning the toilet didn't count if I just put that little blue thing in there. <laughs> they taught me life skills. Kenny thanks you for the life skills that you taught me. <laughs> so I am so thankful for you guys. Thank you so much. <clears throat> okay. The other amazing thing is that during that time when the enemy could have made me feel absolutely, completely alone and broken, by the way, the band can come up, um, when I could have felt completely on my own, 
because they took me and they showed me how to love my mom, it wasn't just my life being restored. It was actually my mom's life being restored because she would look at me and be like, how are you loving me still? How are you? And she would say these things like, how do you love me? I'm like, I don't know, but I love you because Jesus loves me and I love you and I think that's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> and then I would love her and I would became healthy and I was making journeys. And yes, every time I'd take a step forward, it would feel like I'd be blown back because she'd get locked up in the mental institution again. It would feel crazy and it was a cycle. But it was amazing because every time I just kept taking ground, little bit at a time. And as she saw that, she's like, if God can change my daughter's life, he can change my life. My mom, y'all, has been out of the hospital for 12 years. 12 years. Literally a miracle. A miracle. The doctors didn't change any of her medication. It's literally a miracle, and I'm still believing for the full restoration. She is living her best life in Texas in a tiny little town, and she is, she's doing amazing. But it's because the fact that she saw what God was doing in my life, and now our family is restored in our own way. <clears throat> so how do we overcome an orphan heart? Number one, recognize whose you are. At the end of the day, names will change. Even if you're six years old, apparently, your last name can change. Names change, things change, right? That all can happen. Ultimately, you have to know whose you are. John 3.16, y'all, we all know it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son for you and me so that whoever believed in him would have eternal life. God wants us to be known, to know that we, he calls us as our own, that he's chosen us. And as you start there, as you start to give your life to Jesus and walk this journey of faith, you'll start to see you get a confidence on the inside of you. No matter the amazing family that you come from, you can honor and bless your family. Be like, yes, I love you. Man, I'm so thankful to be God's child. You can take that with you in whatever season and whatever dynamic of your life you've got going on. The second thing in how to overcome an orphan heart, honor your mother and father. Okay, this is gonna get like ouchy, a little ouchy, but I have to do it. Honor your mother and father. The Bible tells us it is the first commandment with a promise attached to it. God says, honor your mother and father and it will go well with you. Honor your mother and father and it will go well with you. I was looking back at my life and pinching myself like, Kenny, how did, is how? And the Holy Spirit's like, because you honored your mother and your father. It is going very well for me. But let me tell you, if there's a place in your heart or if you've been orphaned or abandoned or wounded at the deepest levels, and if you can't find yourself the ability to honor them genuinely, that's a huge indicator that there's some unforgiveness there. The Holy Spirit showed me a few years ago, actually. Um, my mom calls me a lot. She's, she's, she's very intense. And she calls me a bunch and she would call me and I would be so short with her. I would be like, everything she did annoyed me. If she like touched me or hugged me, I'm like, oh, I love you, and I'd cringe. It just was too much. And the Holy Spirit had showed me that I was holding her at an arm's length, telling her with my actions that she owed me. But the Holy Spirit was like, yep, she owes you, but guess what? She can never repay you that childhood she owes you. So 
whether or not they owe you big or owe you little, it's our decision to release that. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, 31, 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and be compassionate to one another, forgiving others as Christ forgave you. We come to Jesus and say, God, forgive me. You, I could never repay you the debt that I owe. And Jesus says, okay, absolutely, you're right. You don't deserve it. By the law, you and I don't deserve it. But he chooses. He chooses us. So if you have some trouble honoring your mama and your daddy, let's get some forgiveness in there and start from there. And then I, I want to say and preface this, that that doesn't mean that there's not boundaries. Listen, my mom and I have a very clear agreement that she is not to move to San Diego, ever. I, you guys, I'm being honest. Do, I, do you want me to be honest? Because I am. She knows. She's watching right now, probably. She knows. She is healthy where she is with her mom, I mean, her dad and her brother and her little church. And me and Kenny are able to honor her with our time. I call her every Thursday. She calls me for our NFL picks because I'm a football family and we love football in our house. And every week, my whole family, Texas, Seattle, everywhere, everyone is, we all give our picks for the week and we watch the football games and we like, you know, that's one of our fun traditions that made it through the chaos of my life. And it's amazing because we get to give her time. We get to, we bought her an iPad so she can like FaceTime us. We're, we're honoring her with our money, our time, our energy, but I can do that because I've forgiven her. The third thing is become a son or daughter of the house of God. 11 years ago, when Kenny and I got married, it was my youth pastor who walked me down the aisle. And it was my youth pastor who did the father-daughter dance with me. It was people in the house of God that raised me, that loved me, and that kept me healthy. In a family, when you got kids, they show up to all the events, they come to everything, you bring them along everywhere. So how do you become a son or daughter of the house? You get planted, you get connected, you join a connect group, you join a team, you go to every single after party that there ever could be for Pastor Sterling and Marissa. You go out and you get together with people. See, even though I didn't have a physical father in my life, God was so good to always give me spiritual fathers. I have like a plethora like behind me that have like championed me my whole life. It's incredible. It's more, it's better than one father. I have a million. I do. And seven years ago, I walked into this place and I was, Kenny and I were happy. We had a great marriage and I was under the incredible covering of my husband. But God had showed me that I had still dismissed a need for having a spiritual father. Like I had grown out of having a father figure. And it was affecting my life where, yes, absolutely, ultimately, of course, God is my father. But I still needed like affirmation and I needed coaching and I needed like Halloween parties and fun things to go to. And Pastor John, there he was smiling away. I was like, well, hello, would you like to adopt me? Here I am. And now you're stuck with me forever. 
But it's amazing because I can run to them and run to them as a spiritual father and mother. And there's people in here in this place that want to champion you and love you and encourage you and correct you and coach you as well. And then in turn, the coolest thing for Kenny and I is not just that I got to receive all that, but then I actually got to be that for other people. Where's all the My City kids at? Where'd y'all go? Five years ago, Kenny and I were in youth and a bunch of little girls like showed up at our door one day and there was like flowers everywhere and like a big sign outside. And I was like, did someone just get engaged? Is this like the wrong house? Because it was like flower petals on our front porch. And I realized it was Mother's Day. And that these junior high girls came to my house. I was not even a mother. I was not even old enough to be a mother, barely. I'd be like negative five when I had them. But they saw me as a mother who could, they could make a secure attachment with. They could make a strong bond with. And they, they gave me presents. And I was like, this is cool. And then same thing for Kenny, for Father's Day, Deshaun, wherever Deshaun is, and a bunch of the boys got together and made Kenny a terrible chocolate cake that literally tasted like cardboard. And Kenny kept asking like, did you guys put protein powder in there or something? Like, he just couldn't understand what was happening. But as much as I got to receive it, and then you know how full circle is it that now I am an actual mom, I'm like, whoa, this is so crazy. In the house of God is where, like, the family gets completed. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com. 